Welcome to Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called Courageous Orthodoxy, Convictions for Resilient Faith. And for us at this time, we are looking at the foundations of Christian belief. We are trying to encourage you as followers of Jesus to live out of a robust theology. We're hoping that you would be encouraged by this and that you will ground your faith in the Word of God and you will live a vibrant life in the way of Jesus. Hope this empowers you and encourages you in your faith. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in um, James chapter 5. I was going to do something different. Uh, wasn't completely convinced by it. And then I uh, asked your pastor, what should I do? And he told me to do what I did in the first service. So I, I want to be obedient to that. I, um, you know, I, I do, my church allows me to do a bit of travel and You know, the easy thing to do is just kind of compile what you perceive to be your greatest hits and package them and just kind of hit repeat. And um, I just don't want to be that dude. And so I was praying for you all, praying for my time uh, with you all. God God tends to give me revelation in the shower for some reason. Um, And um, I don't want to share this word with you. I hate this. And it's... um, Hopefully you'll be encouraged. Um, if I was with a chocolate church, I would say this ain't a shouting sermon. Um, by the way, feel free. Feel free to say amen. It actually, it actually makes me preach faster. Because I know you're getting it, right? Um, golly, they got a ticker on me. A ticker on a black preacher, boy. That's... Um, cruel and unusual punishment. And I heard y'all went till eight o'clock last week. So why do you even have a timer? Um, James chapter five, pick me up in verse, verse seven. And you're going to see right away why I don't want to share this. Be patient. Be patient. I didn't think you'd clap. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being, here's that word again, patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. I think he's trying to make a point. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I love this. Make note of the opening phrase of verse 9. While you're being patient, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain synonym for patience, steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen, underline this phrase, the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God, I've, I've done my best to, to prepare. I... I have wrestled with this text. 
But these people don't need to hear the thoughts of a middle-aged man. They need to hear from a timeless, eternal God. Um, And so, Lord God, I I don't want to just stand here and rely on education. I'm a big fan of education. But I, I need your spirit to join in with preparation, even at this moment. Um, And I I just make myself available. Whatever directions you want to take me in, I I don't want to reproduce, try to manufacture what you did in the first service. These are different people. And so if you want to give fresh analogies, if... I stand here much like um, John Coltrane and Miles Davis. And um, if your spirit wants me to improvise, whatever you want to do. To that end, Lord God, that people who don't know you are drawn to you. People who do know you are encouraged and strengthened that we might be the people of God for our generation, for your glory and your fame. In Jesus' name, amen. So here I am, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm preaching and I'm looking at yachts while I preach. It's a first for me. God's favor is on this church. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of, the, one of the most frustrating things that could ever happen to an oyster, the, 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 the water's got me thinking about this, um, is to have lodged within its shells a little grain of sand. So frustrating for an oyster. 99.9 times out of 100, this oyster is, um, is more than capable and ready, and, and, and it does. It, it locates the grain of sand, and it removes it, goes on about the day's affairs. But there are those rare, I mean, very rare times when the oyster just can't remove that grain of sand. It's in a situation it doesn't like, and it cannot change. It's um, at this moment where this oyster finds itself irritated, frustrated, exacerbated, any other kind of unsanctified, aided. Uh, To quote a 90s urban poet, it's at this point, this oyster feels as if it's about to lose its mind up in here. Oh, y'all know about that out here. I didn't... No, if DMX came to Huntington Beach. <laughs> so it's in a situation it can't change. Doesn't like it. But in the sovereignty of God, this is so amazing how God has wired these oysters. It's, it's in this situation, it's irritated by this grain of sand, doesn't like where it's at, and it's at this mo- moment where it's as if the oyster shrugs its shoulders. Work with me, I know oysters don't have shoulders. And, um, and pretty much says, it, well, if I can't get rid of it, let me make the most of it. 
So it finds the grain of sand and begins to coat it over and over and over again that, um, with a liquid substance that when this liquid substance hardens, it, it actually turns into something our grandmothers would pay top dollar for, a pearl. Did you think about that? At the end of the day, all a pearl is, is a oyster's bad day. <laughs> like next time your grandmother puts on a string of pearls, tell her you're wearing someone's bad day. If there was no irritation, if there was no frustration, if there was no exacerbation, if there wasn't this sense of I'm about to go crazy, there would be no pearls. God has sent me all the way from North Carolina to tell you he has an assignment on your life. And his assignment for your life is so much more than your happiness or comfort. In fact, in our prayer time, I, one of the people just prayed, Lord God, attack the Southern Californian's idol of comfort. I'm like, I think he's been doing it. It's called rain and snow. <laughs> God's after his glory. And he wants to lift you up as a pearl of great price. Psalm 139 says that we are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2.10 says that we, we are God's workmanship. Greek word there, poema, from which we get our English word poem from. That, that, that you have been created on purpose and for a purpose. Your, your mama and daddy may not have planned on you being here. By the way, one of the ways you know that is if your closest sibling is a decade older than you, you was a surprise. <laughs> I'm thinking about my own mother who, my grandmother had had several abortions then gets pregnant by a married man and for whatever reason does not abort that one. That's my mama. Came to faith in Jesus Christ. Child of an alcoholic. She led me to faith in Jesus Christ. God's poema. Yes, Lord, make me a pearl. That's what I want. Make me a pearl. Cue the Hammond B3 organ if y'all had one. Let's run around the building. Make me a pearl. But our problem is we, 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 want, we want the destination. We just don't want the process. We want the pearl. Just leave out the grains of sand. Now for the un-American portion of this little lesson. You know what our problem is? We want to get where we're going quick, fast, and in a hurry. But if you, if you took a tour of God's kitchen, 
you would discover that in God's kitchen, there are no microwaves. Only crock pots. Y'all know what a crock pot is? Not all y'all know. Y'all know what DoorDash is. <laughs> so here's what God says. Brian, you're here. My assignment for your life is that you get here. I, 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 just allow me to mix my metaphors. Br Brian, you're here, and, and, and I want to get you here. I, I want to get you to a place um, where your life blesses others. I want to get you to a place of fall-off-the-bone, succulent faith. And the worst thing I could ever do to you, Brian, is to give you a gift, a stage, a platform that you don't have the character infrastructure to support. Success is a bigger killer than failure. So here's what I need to do, Brian. You're here. I want to get you here. You're not going to like this. You're, 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 you're going to hate me, but, but I got to stick you in my crock pot. Turn up the heat, slow cook you, put a lid on top of you, like I did Joseph. We meet him, he's 17. He gets second in command, 30, 13 years, crock pot. Like I did Moses. We meet him at 80, previous 40 years, tending sheep, anonymity, backside of a mountain in Moab. Like I did David, we meet him 1 Samuel 16, anointed as king. He's, he doesn't actually assume the throne till 15 years later. Like I did Jesus, we meet him at 30. What was he doing the previous 30 years? And for some reason, you think you get a pass? Lit on top of you, Brian. Turn up the heat. Let me encourage you. I've taken several tours of duty. And Brian, you, you're going to feel like you're about to lose your mind up in here, up in here. <laughs> but I need you to be patient. We come now to the book of James. If you're new to the Bible or you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, uh, the book of James is a genre of biblical uh, literature that we would simply call an epistle. It's a letter that James writes. In fact, in the New Testament, there's all kinds of epistles. Um, a lot of them are written by a guy named Paul. And then we have James's epistle. Uh, like Paul, James's epistles originally written in a language called Greek. If you were to ask the question, what makes James's epistle or letter different than the other ones like Paul's, uh, uh, Greek scholars tell us that if you were to examine these letters in the original language of Greek, what immediately stands out about James's letter in Greek is that his has the highest concentration of what we would call in Greek syntax, imperatives. Oh, what is an imperative? An imperative is simply a command. And whenever someone commands you, learn to read your Bible in its emotional context. A, a command, there's a sense of urgency there. James speaks in commands. He speaks in directives. I mean, the book or the letter of James is one command after another. In fact, the whole thing begins with a command when he says, count it all joy. Then we come to our text. 
right out the gates. He begins by saying, be patient. It's a command. James is not recommending. He's not asking how you feel about it. He's not suggesting. He's not giving us tweetable advice to consider. It's as if James is grabbing us by the lapel, grabbing us by the collar, and he's saying, I know you want to hurry up and get to where you're going, but I am commanding you, be patient. Now, hang in there with me. I promise you, this is as technical as this little Sunday school lesson gets, but be patient, two words in English, is actually one word in the Greek. It is the Greek word makrothumos. Macrothumos. Can you say that with me? Macrothumos. It's a compound word. Macro meaning long. And thumos, we get the English word thermometer from there, this instrument we use to measure heat. So literally, macrothumos means to be long towards anger. It, 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 it implies that I am in a situation where my anger is being tested. D.A. Carson, that great New Testament scholar, he says in his wonderful book, Scandalous, the reason why we Christians never, ever, ever, forever, ever, (laughs) pray for patience is because we are smart enough to realize that embedded in the very request for patience would be another request, and that is, God, please put me in something I don't like. That's why we never pray for it. Because we understand that you don't learn patience in climate-controlled, cushion-seat environments with beautiful views of God's creation. You don't learn patience when the money is flowing in, when the career is trending well. You don't learn patience when the doctor's report says healthy. You don't learn patience in one of those rare seasons when the kids are being compliant. Prosperity is a horrible teacher. You only learn patience where you wake up one morning and like my god sister up the road here in Inglewood, California. She feels a lump on her breast. Her mind's racing. She's got to have some patience, waiting to get on the doctor's calendar. She gets to the doctor. They take the biopsy. She's got to have patience, waiting on the results. The results come in. It's cancer. We, get, we got to do a mastectomy. You got to have patience as you wait for the surgery. They get the the surgery, then they say, well, to really make sure we got it all, we got to do some rounds of chemo. Patience. You only learn patience where you thought it was just the annual physical and you go in and and then you get your blood results back and, hey, your PSA levels are high. We, We think something's going on with your prostate. Then you go in and there's 
patience there as they take the biopsy and patience as you wait for the results. And well, we got to decide surgery, radiology, and there's patience there. Patience. I just prayed with a gentleman after our first service. He's going in for surgery. I'm in California. It's just kind of coming to me. I didn't say this the first service. I would imagine maybe some of you are creatives and man, you know what it's like and always being told no or just in this season of auditions and no, no, no. And you've had a few things and now you're getting a little older and I need that breakthrough and what's happening. And I had all these dreams for my career and Macrothumas. Nah, I wasn't the perfect dad. I, I, I got a kid. He's about to turn 22. He's in Phoenix, hashtag adulting. I got a 20-year-old at Biola. I got an 18-year-old, just graduated early from high school. He's leaving the house. I don't care where he goes. I'm empty nesting. <laughs> But I know what it's like. You pour into these kids and you, you know, I wasn't the perfect dad and I got a lot of regrets and I know what it's like to have a kid go out into the far country. And you've yelled and you've tried to control and you've tried everything and it's not working. I know what Tim Keller means when he says you'll only be as happy as your unhappiest child. It's not right, but it's true. God, I really want to be married, and if I have to put on another one of those hideous bridesmaid dresses... Here you are standing at the altar again. I know what you're thinking. She ain't even as cute as me. <laughs> I want to be careful with that. The end zone isn't marriage. In fact, let me, let me let you in on a little insider thinking here. Yeah, there's some single people who want to be married, but there's a lot of married people who wish they were single. <laughs> So I think the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Macrothumas. Are you encouraged? <laughs> All right, James. All right, James. I, I, I got you. I'm going to do some tours of duty in the crock pot, macro thumas. Um, but I need some help here. It's just very ethereal right now. I just, as my grandmama would say, give me some shoe leather. Like, how do I walk this thing out? Verse seven. James says. If you want to look to a a picture of God-glorifying patience, he says, look to the farmer. Huh? What? Well, you guys understand this. When a farmer wants to reap some 
some fruit from his land. I, I imagine here he is, he goes to his barren field and no farmer looks at his barren field and up at God, then back down at his barren field and back up at God and says, God, in the name of Jesus, I command corn. Corn God, name of Jesus, right now, waiting on you. You know that's not how that works. What does the farmer do? He goes to his... It's barren land, he, he plows and plows and plows and sows and sows and sows and cultivates and cultivates and cultivates day in, day out, week in, week out. It is hard work. But the farmer does all this knowing unless God sends the rain, my labor is in vain. So watch this. The farmer teaches us that patience is never passive resignation, but patience is always active participation. Patience is me doing everything that I can. It is me doing my something, waiting on God to do his something, knowing that when God adds his something to my something, now we've got something. Okay, the primary biblical picture of this is Paul. There there is, the start of this year, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to focus in this year on Philippians, so I'm just sitting in Philippians. In fact, I'm, I'm actually trying to memorize this letter, sitting in Philippians. Philippians is a part of a subset of epistles known as prison epistles, as the name sounds, Paul gets to prison, talk about a crock pot, talks about a crock pot. He's in a situation he doesn't like, he's in a situation he doesn't change, and notice in all these prison epistles what he does, he gets there and he asks for a pen and a piece of paper. I'm here, I just want to encourage some believers. While in his crock pot. He writes and he writes and he writes. Read each of these crockpot or prison epistles. And each of them, he says the same thing. Not only is he writing, but he's praying. He said, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Here he is in a crockpot, writing and praying and writing and praying. And this is what kills me. Like, like I'm actually preaching Philippians 1 this week at our church. And uh, one of the things that kills me is to the Philippians, he says, that since I've been in prison, he talks about having joy. Now, I don't know about you, I got some friends of mine who are locked up, incarcerated. Whenever I go to visit them, me as a free person, I rack my brain trying to come up with things to give them joy, and Philippians is the exact opposite. You have an incarcerated person telling free people, no, you have joy. Oh, and then another thing, while in his crock pot. He says, um, Philippians, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Grateful for your concern, but I want you to know since I've been here, the gospel has gone forth throughout the whole imperial guard. Like I've run out of people to share the gospel with. The imperial guard were soldiers chained to either side of Paul and it's Paul, we're kind of stuck together. So let me tell you about Jesus and let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, They rotate off, two more people come on for their shift and let me tell you about Jesus and tell you about Jesus and on and on it goes. Here's what I'm saying. You don't do that kind of stuff while also throwing yourself a pity party. 
Hear me. Yes, get therapy. Yes, I believe in it. I go to therapy. Amen. Get it. Yes, lean into biblical community. Yes, pour your heart out to your pastors and your leaders. Yes, amen, amen, amen. But at some point, you're going to say, I'm here. How can I turn this grain of sand into a pearl? So I, I lived in Memphis for years. Uh, I saw the barbecue spot right over here. There's Texas barbecue, ooh, not so sure. <laughs> Memphis barbecue will be at the Feast of the New Covenant. <laughs> when Jesus comes back, he's going to stop in Memphis and take some of that barbecue sauce with him. It's good stuff. <laughs> well, the only thing I didn't like about living in Memphis mainly is I couldn't get a nonstop flight anywhere. So I'm a Delta guy. What that meant was one time I had to preach north in Chicago, but because I'm a Delta guy, I had to first fly south through Atlanta. I'm convinced that the way to hell will have a layover in Atlanta. <laughs> so here I am, man. We get to Atlanta, and then there's mechanical issues, and people are all ticked. I can't believe this. I'm like, it's mechanical issues. Like, calm down. I want them to fix that. <laughs> People's patience are getting tested. We get on the flight. We're on our way. I'm looking at my clock. Man, this is going to be tight. I got to speak at this event at 7. Gosh, it's about 6-something, landing in O'Hare, rush hour traffic. It's going to be tight. And we get to Chicago's airspace, and God bless our pilot, but she decides, unsolicited, to give us an aerial tour of the city of Chicago. <laughs> I mean, we just keep going around and around and around and around, and I'm going crazy. Like my inner DMX <laughs> is in full bloom. What in the world? Lady, land the plane. But of course, you and I know what's happening. She's not just giving us an aerial tour. We are in what's known in aeronautical circles as a holding pattern. The reason why we're in a holding pattern is our pilot was in communication with air traffic controllers who are in a tower. They sit up high and look down low. They have access to information we don't have. They know stuff we don't know. They see what we can't see. And actually, if they landed the plane on my schedule, it would have done irreparable damage and harm to all of us on board. Ever felt like you've been in a holding pattern? Just keep going around and around in my marriage. Around and around in my career. Around and around, even in my unemployment. Like, some of you are thinking, if one more person tells me I'm overqualified, I'm going to punch them in the face. Well, you need to know God sits up high and looks down low. He knows things we don't know. He sees what we can't see. My grandmama, boy, she dropped out of high school, but she used to always say, ah, she was a profound theologian. She used to say to me, son, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. So once I figured out we were in a holding pattern, I unfastened my seatbelt. 
opened up the overhead compartment, got my laptop out. Ain't no sense in trying to worry and control something I can't control. Let me make the most of it. At some point, you have to come to terms with the crockpot. God, I'm upset with you because I thought when I said I do, I could get pregnant whenever I wanted to. And I've been in this holding pattern for years. Oh. By the way, when you're in your holding pattern, James says, do not grumble. James is, um, he's writing to ethnic Jews who have recently come to faith in Christ. I just imagine these ethnic Jews recently converted to Christianity, when they stumble upon this phrase, do not grumble, that word grumble, they had to have immediately thought of their ancestors and the journey from Egypt to the promised land. You know what the number, what the two most occupations of the Jews were on the journey from Egypt to the promised land? Grumbling and complaining and funerals. And what you see in that journey, God doesn't like grumbling and complaining. Why? The same reason we as parents don't like it when our kids do it to us. Because the essential message of grumbling and complaining is this. I know better than you. Grumbling and complaining unleashes a vicious assault on the sovereignty of God. Plus, it just ain't cute. <laughs> I remember I went out with this girl once, and the whole time she grumbled and complained. And nothing in me said, ooh, can we do this again? <laughs> I sat with an older lady, and she sat in my office. I'll never get it. And she sits down, and she's ticked off, and she's peeved, and no joy. She's just upset. I said, mother, what's wrong? And she said, that new, uh, new daughter-in-law of mine, she just messed up my, my Christmas card. I said, okay, what does that mean? She goes, for decades, our family, we would always go to the same spot for spring break right on the beach, and Wednesday of that week, we'd all put on white linen. We'd go down to the beach just as the sun is setting. The photographer would come out, take the picture, and that would be our Christmas card. Now my son marries this girl. She don't want to go on the spring break trip with us. She's messed up my Christmas card. And I'm going, oof, I would not want to go on spring break with you either. <laughs> You know, I've come to the conclusion, in the church of Jesus Christ, we got way too many old people. When what we're called to have are patriarchs and matriarchs, there's a difference. Patriarchs and matriarchs 
leverage the spiritual odometer of their journey with Jesus to pour down into younger generations, to inspire them to greater faithfulness in Christ. Don't be a curmudgeonly old person. And then, then you wonder why no one's begging to meet with you, to be mentored or discipled about you. Your landscape is off. You're murmuring, you're grumbling, you're complaining. And your journey into whether or not you begin, you, you, you become a patriarch, matriarch, or an old person, that actually starts right now in how you respond to pain and disappointment. Either it will embitter you or better you. Oh, James says, while you're in the crock pot, I love what he says, look to the prophets. Wow. My youngest thinks he's God's gift to basketball. <laughs> um, Rashid Wallace picked him up. He's an NBA player. He picked him up, picked my son up on his team, and they're on the highest level circuit for AAU. It's called EYBL, and my son's played against LeBron James's son and all that good stuff. And um, I, I hope he makes it to the professional ranks because I'm saving all these receipts. <laughs> I'm not laughing. <laughs> he's always loved basketball from the time he was a little kid. Just came out. Like when he was five years old, I couldn't find him one time in our house. He's supposed to be in bed. It's like 10 something at night. And I'm looking all over for him, and finally, I see him. He's in my office, my home office, watching a documentary on Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> One time, my son met Chris Weber. Chris Weber is famously known as the guy who, they say, lost the NCAA championship when he was at Michigan because he called a timeout that they didn't have. And so... My son at the time was seven or eight, and he had just watched a documentary on, um, on, uh, on the Fab Five, that Michigan team. And so we're headed. Ernie Johnson leads something called TNT. We, we were headed down there to hang out with Chris Weber and Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. And so we're driving down from Memphis, and I said, Jaden, what are you, you going to ask? He goes, I'm going to ask why he called timeout. <laughs> I said, no, no, you're not. You're not. You're not going to do that. So my kid loves basketball. So there's times, I, I remember just going, walking into his room one time, this little kid, and he's got all these posters and fatheads on the wall. One is Michael Jordan, train up a child in the way he should go. The other's LeBron James, parenting fail. Uh, there's, there's Kobe Bryant, there's Steph Curry. And one time I'm, I'm, I'm standing in the doorway and I'm looking at my son and he's just looking at the posters on the wall. And a few moments later, he grabs his basketball, goes to the backyard and is shooting. Those, those posters inspire him. James is saying, when you find yourself in the crock pot, Plastered on the walls of the crockpot are patience posters. They're called the prophets. 
the prophets are God's divine show and tell for his patience with his people. There's Ezekiel. God says, hey, Ezekiel, my my people are frustrating me. They keep jumping in and out of relationship with me. I want to communicate to them that when they are faithless, I'm faithful, that I'm patient with them. So Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. Strip down naked, leave your loincloth on, lay on your side, how long, God? 390 days. Don't move because I'm patient with my people. Don't you ever forget you are alive today because of the patience of God. If God ever got impatient with you, we're done. (laughs) Then there's Hosea. God says, hey, hey, Hosea, um, I, I, I got an issue. My people keep cheating on me. His words, they're whoring after other gods. By the way, every time we sin, that's what we do. We cheat on God. We say, God, you're not enough. We're, we're serial spiritual adulterers. But God's like, even though they've given me license to divorce them, I, I haven't made a contract with them. I've made a covenant with them. So here's what I want you to do, Jose. I know you just graduated from seminary, Talbot School of Theology. I I, I know, Jose, you're single. I know you just got called to pastor that church. But boy, do I have a bride picked out for you. I just see Jose smiling. What's her name, God? Her name is Gomer. At this point, I ain't smiling no more because I ain't never met a cute Gomer in my life. (laughs) Sorry if your mama named you Gomer. Anyways... Chapter three, Gomer cheats on him. I can just see now Hosea's like, done. Didn't want to marry her in the first place. God says, go get her. Remember your marriage ain't about your marriage. Your marriage is an illustration for how I relate to my people. And if every time you cheated on me, I was done with you, Hosea, you wouldn't have made it out the first day. So I need you to exercise with her what I exercise with you every day, patience. And then there's the number 23, the Michael Jordan of patience. James says, you've seen the steadfastness of Job. Talk about patience. Job chapter one, he loses all of his businesses, all of his money. He goes to a funeral with 10 caskets, each casket holding one of his kids. Parents aren't supposed to bury kids. Covered from head to toe with boils, wife chirping in his ear, curse God and die. And this joker in chapter 19, you know what he says? I know my Redeemer lives. He's not saying that in the suburbia of life, he's saying that from the crock pot. I know. Not I feel, I know. Job teaches us when going through tough times, always let what we know about God trump how we feel about God. And to this generation who has taught me so much about therapy and its importance, thank you for that gift. My fear though is 
We've gone way to the other extreme. Our feelings are like a two-year-old child. We put them in a car seat. We strap them in. We don't put them in the trunk. We don't ignore them. Driving down the street, we interact with them. We talk with them. We strap them in. They're in the car, not in the trunk, but we never give them the keys. Those are your feelings. We don't stuff them, but we don't give them the keys to our faith. That's why you've got to become your favorite podcast preacher. When you're in the crock pot, you have to preach to yourself about the goodness and faithfulness of God. Even though Sunday's a week away, you've got to be able to talk and testify to your own self of how he's been good to you. And then he ends by saying, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. The purpose, the purpose, the purpose. There's a purpose to the crockpot. There's a purpose to the infertility. There's a purpose to the cancer. There's a purpose to the relational trauma. There's a purpose to that wayward child. There's a purpose. I grew up in Atlanta, and my mama was... Um, she, she had an annoying hobby. It's called cross-stitching. If you know anything about cross-stitching, it involves taking a piece of cloth and weaving threads in and out. I, I call this annoying. I, I can still see my mama right now seated on the blue sofa there in College Park, Georgia, suburb of Atlanta. And uh, I would always watch mama um, cross-stitch uh, seated at her feet, which means I'm watching her cross-stitch from the bottom up. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody cross stitch from the bottom up. It's crazy. It's pandemonium. It's chaos. Because all I saw were dangling threads. No rhythm, no rhyme, no reason. And mama would do this for hours. And it seemed as if, I know I'm in California, so this won't work. But it seemed as if mama's cheese had slid off her cracker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't think it would work. And one day, I, I had to have been like eight or nine years old, and I was just like, Mama, Mama, you, just, you do this for hours. It makes no sense. All I see are dangling threads. It's, it's chaos. It just doesn't make it. How can you do this? And Mama just smiled and patted on the seat next to her, invited me to come up and sit next to her. And as soon as I sat next to her, it clicked. Because I no longer saw things from the bottom up. I now saw things from the top down. And what I saw was rhythm and rhyme and reason and form and beauty. And years later, it dawned on me, ain't that the fundamental problem with life? The fundamental problem with life is the problem of perspective. We only see things from the bottom up. And it seems as if, God, your cheese has slid off its cracker. God, 
God, I'm angry with you. I'm frustrated. Another round of chemo. Filing for bankruptcy. Divorce court. I thought I heard you and I left college to do the acting thing or the creative thing or I thought I heard you and I entrepreneurially, I'm trying to start this business and it's not working. I see God patting on the seat next to him. I'm saying, I want you to sit here where Joseph sat when he cried himself to sleep in that prison and where David sat when he was on the run from Saul and where Moses sat tending sheep. If you could sit here, you would see that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you sat here, you would see that I am sure of this, that he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. I just need you to be patient. So I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray. Sometimes we hear the word of God and we go, man, that's a good word. It's just not where I'm at right now. So I need to put it away. I need to put it on reserve and come back and get it at a later time. It's the beauty of podcasts. But other times we hear the word of God and it's what the Bible calls a word in season. It's a right now word. Some of you are here today and it's a right now word for you. You go, this is, this is where I'm at right now. I don't know how y'all roll around here. I'm a guest in your house. I'm not here to shame anybody or embarrass anybody. But if you would say I'm in the crock pot right now, I want to pray for you. Would you just slip out of your seat and meet me at the altar, if that's you? This is, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. This is, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. I've seen couples come to the altar saying together, this is where we're at, or saying we're coming on behalf of our child. If that's you, would you just, would you just come? Would you just come? I'm going to pray, but prayer is not an individual solo sport. It's a team sport. And so as I pray, I, I just just want you to feel the freedom to stretch a hand, to join with me in praying that God would strengthen our brothers and sisters. 
would you just stretch a hand towards them right now? And in fact, would you stand if you're in the audience and let's just intercede on their on their behalf. Don't don't check out on me mentally. But pray like it's your mother who's struggling. Pray like it's your child who's struggling. Because we're family. Father, in the name of Jesus, I I pray for my brothers and sisters. The body of Christ is amazing. Never seen these people before. And I'm going to catch a flight tomorrow morning and may never ever see them again. But because we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, adopted into the family of God, we will have an eternity to catch up. So I pray for them right now, right now. They have come forward and they are saying, I'm in a situation I don't like. And I'm not here to query them or to ask them what that situation is. I'm calling on a God, on a God who knows. I'm calling on an omniscient, all-knowing God who knew about the crock pot before they got in it. So I, I love what David says. He says in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? God, you know. You're mindful you're mindful. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking even of Israel being in a crock pot for 400 years and God shows up to Moses through a bush that is burning but is not being consumed and he says, I, I see them. <laughs> I've heard them. So God, we rebuke the enemy right now in the name of Jesus who would posture God of, as some kind of a senile, detached, um, aloof, not knowing God. No, God, you see us. Right where we're at, you, you, you see us. In fact, Jesus says, you, you know the numbers of hair on our head. Not a single bird falls from the sky. You don't know about it. You see us. But not only do you see us, you care about us. Yes, yes. Again, I'm back to Psalm 8. David says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And I love this part. Or the son of man that you care for him. So God, you care. You care about the infertility. You, you care about the wayward child. You care about the marriage that's on life support. You care about the cancer diagnosis. You care about the lupus. You care. God cares. Would you just speak that word over yourself right now? Would you just say that? God cares. No, no, say it again. God cares. God cares. God, you care. You care. And so God, I want to end this prayer by praying this. I'm not quoting a TV preacher. I'm not, I'm not quoting a name it, claim it uh, preacher, Lord God. I'm quoting Jesus Christ. Jesus, here's what you said, and we hold you to it. You said this, Matthew 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So here's, here's what I'm doing. I'm just taking you at your word. God, cure the cancer. God, open up the fruit of the womb in the season of infertility, Lord God. 
God, bring back the wayward child. God, uh, make that business flourish. God, give us a yes that opens up uh, me having an opportunity to act in whatever thing that may be. Open up the job. Heal the body. Restore the relationship. But in the meantime, in between time, as we rest on you, Christ, our firm foundation, strengthen us to be patient. Strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We are Garden Church. To find out more about our community and to find resources to help you in your spiritual journey, visit garden.church.